0: Evening. We're glad to have Nelson and Linda back safely uh, from a trip out to the West Coast. And I'm glad to see all of you here this evening. If you're turning your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. I'd like for us to remember... Uh, Ed Adamowicz and Lee Barton, especially Shirley Murphy, Jan Houston. Um, these need prayer, and uh, we, we appreciate uh, you praying for them and contacting. Maybe send a text or something to them, let them know you're thinking about them. Tonight, I'm going to talk to you about the security of the saints. The Security of the Saints, John's Gospel, chapter 10. And although we'll look at most of the chapter, we're just going to read beginning with verse 27. Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 27, on the security of the saints. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Let's pray. Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to come together and to think upon your word. Pray that by your spirit you will give us insight, that you will give us hearts that understand, ears that hear, and eyes that see spiritually. We thank you for the great salvation that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. How shall we escape? if we neglect so great a salvation. We stretch our hands out to thee, we have no other help. We can go no other place, for you have the words of eternal life. Bless us tonight in our brief study. I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake, amen. Now this chapter follows a very pivotal chapter, chapter 9, which contains in it the great miracle of giving sight to a blind man. That's important because these, the audience here, Jewish people, especially the leaders of the Jews, witnessed that miracle and gave the Lord Jesus Christ quite a bit of argument about it and even the blind man himself. Uh, When he said to them, why do you keep asking me about him? Would you like to be his disciples? They reviled him. This is in chapter uh, 9, in verse 28. They said, you are his disciples, but as for us, we're Moses' disciples. We know that God spake by Moses, we don't know this fellow. We don't even know where he is, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, he rebuked them. He said, we know that God doesn't hear sinners. Since the foundation of the world, verse 32, it's never been heard that any man has opened the eyes of one born blind. If he were not of God, he could do nothing. And Boy, that really infuriated him because what he's doing is he's giving them some exhortation. And they are beyond exhortation. They said, Thou wast altogether born in sin. Do you teach us? And they they cast him out. Later the Lord Jesus found him, identified, uh, revealed himself to him, asked him if he believed on the Son of God. He worshiped him. And then the Lord Jesus made a very strong statement. I'll not go into that now, verse 39 through 41 in which he said, I came into the world to make blind people see and make people who are seeing blind. And the Pharisees understood that he was talking about them. And so in the last verse, verse 41, he said, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. That is, if you had been sensible of your blindness, you'd have no sin. But now you say, we see, we see just fine without you and without your help. Therefore, he said, your blindness remains, your sin remains. So this chapter 10 follows this great miracle of the giving sight to a blind man. And so it's a continuation of sorts from that chapter. The whole of this chapter is concerned with the shepherd and his sheep. Verse 1, I say unto you, Jesus says, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now there were lots of shepherds and lots of sheep, and each shepherd is responsible for his own sheep. So the question arises then, how do the sheep know their own shepherds? How did the sheep know their own shepherd? Well, the answer is by their voice. Verse 3 To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 7 Jesus said unto them, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear. Them, they hear the voice of their shepherd. So how do the sheep know their shepherd? By the shepherd's voice. When you come to your house, if you have a dog or a cat, I guarantee you, your dog or your cat knows your voice. If I came there, they won't recognize me. They'll keep barking or whatever, running or something. But your dog and your cat knows your voice. Now I have three points to make tonight, and the first one is this. Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. He pictures himself as a shepherd, but not just any shepherd. He's called, he calls himself the good shepherd. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Why does he call himself the good shepherd? Number one, because he is God. Remember he said in Matthew chapter 19 and in Mark chapter 10, there's none good but one, and that is God. The young fellow said to him, good master, what what thing must I do to enter heaven? He said, why do you call me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. So in other words, if he is not God, he is not good. Okay? So he's the good shepherd because he's, God secondly because in verse 11 he gives his life for the sheep and that means more than just his dying on the cross we're in John's gospel chapter 10 that means more than just his dying on the cross it means that he will die before he loses one sheep he loves his sheep that much so number two He cares for the sheep, not just what they can do for him. He says in verse 12 that he's not hired to take care of the sheep. He's not a hireling. Verse 12, he that is a hireling and not the shepherd who's owned the sheep or not, he sees the white wolf coming, leaves the sheep and so on. I'll comment on that in a minute point he's making here is that he's not a hireling. He's not hired to take care of the sheep. That's not why he's taking care of them. The hired shepherd, verse 13, only cares about getting paid. That's all he cares about. He says the hireling flees because he's a hireling. He cares not for the sheep. He flees when he sees the wolf coming, verse 12, he runs away because all he's interested in is not interested in protecting the sheep. He is interested in getting paid because he is hired to get paid. Of course, that refers to all of the preachers, the pastors, the, ta- the, the priest, and all these folks in this world that don't really care about the flock that they are pastoring. They only care about the money and the fame and the other things that go with it. Okay. The hired shepherd only cares for his own safety. That's why in verse 12, when he sees the wolf coming, he's thinking about himself. He's not thinking about the sheep. He runs in verse 13 because he's concerned mostly about himself. Now, you know, when you think of David, David said when a bear came and took a little sheep out of the flock, he said, I I got him. He said, I grabbed him by his beard and I slew him. He said, when a lion came and tried to take a sheep out of the flock, I got him too. I killed him too. In fact, that's the way he convinced Saul to let him go face Goliath. When he said, I'll go out and face him, Saul said, you're just a youth. And this, he's been, a, he's been a, a man of war since his youth, and he's nine feet, seven inches tall. And he's covered with all this armor. How are you going to do it? And he told Saul, he said, look, when a bear came and tried to take a sheep, I killed him. And when a lion came and tried to take a sheep, I killed him. And so shall this uncircumcised Philistine be. I'll kill him too. In the name of God, I'll kill him. So here the Lord Jesus talks about the hired shepherd who's not interested really in the sheep, but he is not hired, he is taking care of these sheep because he loves them. The good shepherd is particularly concerned about each sheep. He tells us in verse 14 that he knows them. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, here's a second mention of the good shepherd, and I know my Sheep, this is from a word, the Greek term Genosko, and it means I experientially love them. I have, I have an intimate and personal relationship with each of them. This term ginosko, of course, as you all know, is a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. Adam had not known his wife. Mary, the mother of Jesus, had never known a man. So that's an idiom for the most intimate relationship between a man and a woman. To know a woman or to know a man is to be intimately connected with them. So he uses this word here. He says, I know my sheep. I've got a relationship with them. And they have a relationship with me. And he says in verse 15, I know them with the same knowledge that the father knows me, and I the Father. Look at verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So he tells us here that he's the good shepherd because he's God, because he cares for the sheep. He will give his life for the sheep. He's not hired to take care of the sheep. He's concerned about each sheep's welfare, particularly concerned, and he has an intimate and personal relationship with each of them and they with him. So then he says about the giving of his life, he says that he freely gives his life. Look at verse 17 now. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. That is, the laying down of his life for his sheep is a most free act. That is, he doesn't have to do it. He's doing it because he loves the sheep. Now, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, he says it's a very rare thing that somebody would die for a righteous man. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. He said you might find sometimes one who would die for a good man. Romans 5 verses 8 and 9. But he said, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Now, to, to, to try to get you to understand what he means when he says, I lay it down of myself, I freely lay it down, you should think about the control that you have and that I have over the circumstances of the day of our death. You don't have any control over the circumstances. You can't say, I'm going to lay my life down on June the 15th, 2024. You can't do that. I remember an old western movie I saw about an old Indian. I can't remember the name of it. Some of you will remember it. And uh, he, he just had this uh, intimation it was time for him to die. And he went out and told his grandson that he was going up on this uh, Indian hill. And he, he laid down to die. And all of a sudden thunder started rolling and it started raining in his face. <laughs> and he had to get up and go back home because he had no control over the day Of his death, but Jesus does. Jesus came into the world to do something for his sheep. But we don't have any control over the day of our death. And I'll tell you a good passage to look at. I'm going to quote it to you right before you right now. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 8. There is no man that has power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. In other words, you can't get discharged from death. You can't be dismissed from death. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. So Solomon says you don't have any control over the day of your death. You have very little control over your life leading up to your death. So this teaching is that he is freely giving his life for a sheep, and it shows the absolute voluntariness of his death his his life was his own to surrender at his will and the glory of his sacrifice is in the fact that it was purely voluntarily and that's why he's the good shepherd okay now secondly the good shepherd causes division look at verse 19 There was a division, again, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, he has a devil. He's mad. He's insane. Why are you listening to him? Others said, these are not the words of him that has a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Now, notice, number one, there is a division over his words. Verse 20, why? Hear you him. Why are you listening to him? The words of Christ always cause division. They will cause division not only between people, they will cause division within people where you will begin to question yourself about certain things that you have accepted as good and bad in the sight of God. So there's a division over his words. Secondly, there is a division over his works. That's why I referred to the blind man in chapter 9 before we got to chapter 10. When he healed that blind man and gave him his sight, it caused a division. All of these Jews over here in chapter 9, of course, they are very, very jealous and envious of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they first accused him of breaking the Sabbath day because he did it. Uh, He healed that man on the Sabbath day. I'm going to read this to you. Uh, chapter 9, verse um, 16, some of them said, this man is not of God because he keeps not the Sabbath day. <laughs> and others said, well, how can a man as a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. That's chapter 9, verse 16. Everywhere the Lord Jesus Christ went, he caused the division. Then they went and asked the blind man, what do you say? And he, he says, well, he took some clay and some spittle, and put it on my eyes, and told me to go wash, and I did what he said, and my eyesight received, came back, and he didn't believe that, so then he went and asked his parents, and they asked his parents, what do you say? Is this your son? Verse 19 of chapter 9. Is this your son that you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents said, look, uh, he's 21. He's old enough. Ask him, and because They were afraid that the Jews, the leaders of the Jews, would put them out of the synagogue. It tells us this in verse 22. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. And to them, to be put out of the synagogue was to be put out of the kingdom of God. It's like many of our dear Roman Catholic friends today. They believe that it is necessary to be in the Roman Catholic Church to go to heaven. And uh, there are other churches that have the same type of approach. So there's a division here. There's a division over his words, verse 20 of chapter 10. There's a division over his works because of the miracles that he has been doing. And there's a division over his witness and over his claims. If you look in chapter 10, verse 24... Then came the Jews round about him and said to him, How long did you make us to doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Notice what Jesus says in verse 25. He said, I told you. My works told you. I told you with my works. Verse 25, you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. I told you with my words. My teaching, by my teaching, I told you who I am and what I came to do. I told you, but you do not believe. Look at these verses again. Verse 9, verse 9. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pastor. He says to go in and out means that you believe me. Then in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Then in verse 15, the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And then in verse 17, he says the same thing. He says, I told you with my works, I've told you with my teachings, and I told you, but you don't believe. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He says, they know me and they know what I'm saying. Now, when the truth is told, there is always division. We just know that Christ is a divider of men. And here's the the, something that's shocking. (laughs) He divides men because he is good. He divides men because he will not lie. He will not fudge on the truth. He will not tone down the truth to keep from offending men. And that's what we're doing today. We're we're bending over backwards to keep them from offending anyone. And this should teach us, number one, that men don't want the truth. When they hear the truth, they refuse it, and they reject the one who brings the truth. We're living in a time when men have itching ears going to and fro trying to find someone who will tell them what they want to hear. They don't want to hear the truth and don't want to hear anything that's offensive. So Christ offended men because he told them the truth. Now those who are not his sheep, he says, do not believe him. And they do not believe him because, number one, they want to go to heaven some other way. Look at verse one again. Verse 1 of chapter 10. They want to go to heaven some other way. I say unto you, he that enters not by the door. Now, who is the door? Well, look at verse 7. Verse 7. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. So in verse 1, he says, the person that doesn't enter into the sheepfold. The sheepfold represents salvation. The sheepfold represents heaven. Heaven. The sheepfold represents the truth, the way, the truth, and the life represents Christ. He that doesn't enter in trying to get to heaven, not by the door, but climbs up some other way, while God looks upon them as thieves and robbers. They're they're stealing the glory that belongs to God and the glory that belongs to Christ and the glory that belongs to the Holy Spirit because they want to go to heaven some other way. He's the only way, and he's the only door to heaven. Verse 7, we just read that. And again in verse 9, I am the door by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved. So they want to go to heaven some other way. Number two, they don't belong to him. They don't belong to him. Those who are not his sheep, and this is important, those who are not his sheep and do not believe him, they do not believe him because, number one, they want to go to heaven some other way, and number two, because they do not belong to him. If you look at verse 26, verse 26, Ye believe not because you are not of my sheep. He did not say you're not my sheep because you do not believe. He said you do not believe because you're not my sheep. His sheep are known of him and they know him and these did not know him. Thus they would not believe him and follow him. Now why is it that they won't believe him and follow him and hear his voice? Why is that? Well, he has said, you're not my sheep. But he goes further and he says, you weren't given to me. Verse 29. Verse 29. My father which gave them me is greater than all. He says, you were not given to me. My sheep were given to me by my Father. Therefore, he says, you can't hear my voice. Verse 27. Verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. But you believe not, verse 26, because you're not my sheep. And you believe not because my father didn't give you to me. And you can't hear my voice. You won't hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. But you will not hear my voice because you're not my sheep. It's just like, again, using the analogy of the dog and cat. If I come to your house and you have a dog, no matter how I try to coach them, they don't know my voice and they're not They're going to bark at me until after a while maybe when you introduce me. But still, they are not going to know my voice. Therefore, they will not follow him. They, this is also in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Following him gives evidence of hearing his voice. Then he says, if we can go back again, to uh, verse 4. Verse 4, he puts forth his sheep. He goes before them. His sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Those who are given to the good shepherd by the Father, they know his voice. They hear his voice. They follow him. And verse 5 and verse 8, they will not hear the voice of another Shepherd. Let's look at verse 5. A stranger will they not follow. They will run from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Verse 8. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Many people have come promising salvation, promising uh, if you follow them and hear their voice, that you will find heaven and you will find God. And Jesus says they're all robbers. He said they're all liars, they're all thieves. The division that Christ causes is necessary to identify those who are and who are not his sheep. You understand what I'm saying? The division is necessary that the sheep and the goat may be distinguished the wheat and the tares, the wise and the foolish. So he says that this division is necessary to identify those who are and who are not his. All right, now this brings us to the burden of our study. The good shepherd gives life. He's the good shepherd. The good shepherd causes division, and he causes division because of his words and his works He teaches the truth. He won't hedge. He won't bend for anything or for anyone. Then he says the good shepherd gives life. Now look at verse 28. Verse 28. I give unto them, that is the sheep who believe, who hear my voice and who follow me, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. hand. Here's the first thing. The first thing is this life that he gives is a gift. He says, I give. Now I've taught you this before, but let's, let's look at it once more if you just mark your Bibles here. And let's go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We could also look in John 15, but we'll go to Romans 3 first. And then we'll come back to John 15. Romans chapter 3. You remember the little outline that I've taught you over the years. Romans 1. The Gentiles are sinners. Romans 2. The Gentile. The Jews, are sinners, Romans 3, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So it begins to tell us in Romans 3 about the guiltiness of man and about what God has done about it. Now notice verse 24, verse 24, verse 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now this word translated freely is the Greek word dorion, and it means without a cause. You are justified without a cause. That is, no cause in you. There's no cause in you why God should ever justify you. Where is the cause? For the cause is in God. The cause is in God the Father, but it's not in you. And he says here that when you are justified, you're justified freely. You're justified without a cause. Now turn back to John 15. Same word used, dorion is the the term uh, in the corne, corne Greek. John chapter 15, and Jesus makes a statement about why men hated him. He says, verse 22, John 15, verse 22, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have had no sin. In other words, I uncovered their self-righteousness. I uncovered their guilty hearts and their guilty souls. I uncovered all that, and they don't like it. People don't like being convicted, but conviction is necessary if we're going to be converted. It is the Spirit who comes and convicts us. John chapter 15. He convicts us of sin. He convicts us of judgment. He convicts us of righteousness. He convicts us that we're sinners. He convicts us that we're under judgment. He convicts us that we have no righteousness. Then when he's done that job thoroughly, then he comes back and he says, I want to show you you have a sin bearer. And then you have someone who's taken the judgment for you. And then you have someone who is your righteousness because he has satisfied the law. So he says, if I hadn't come and uncovered all this, they wouldn't have had any sin. But now, verse 22, they have no cloak for their sin. Now, watch this now. He that hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no other man has ever done, they would not have had any sin. But now... They have both seen and hated both me and my father, but this comes to, fa- to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. It's the same word, John fifteen twenty five. They hated me, Dorian. They hated me. There was no cause in Christ as to why they should hate him. The cause of their hatred was in them because of their depraved heart. The heart is deceitful, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah seventeen nine. So you see, when Jesus says over here in John's chapter 10, when he says, I give them eternal life, this giving, this is a gift. It is without a cause. It is freely given. And secondly, this life is particular. This is verse 28 now, John chapter 10. He says, I give unto them. I give unto them, those whom I know, those who believe me, those who follow me. Thirdly, this life is personal. He said, I give. I give. Not me and the church, not me and the pope, not me and the preacher, No, it's all of me. I give it. And then he says, this life can never be lost, can never be stolen, can never be forcibly taken by others because it's called eternal life. Any life that you can lose is not eternal life. Whatever kind of life it is, it is not eternal life. So any friends that we have that believe you can be saved on Sunday and lost on Monday and saved on Tuesday and lost on Wednesday, they are not talking about the life that Christ is talking about because he gives eternal life, not temporary life. Not life that becomes eternal if you keep it and if you do certain things and if you don't do certain things. No. He says, this is a gift I give unto them, it is particular, I give it, it is personal, it can never be lost, stolen, or forcibly taken, it's eternal life, nothing that the sheep themselves do or don't do can cause them to lose this life. Lots of trouble here from a lot of people. Now, I want you to notice in verse 29 that, at least in the King James Version, uh. The word man is not in the text. Let's see. Am I looking at the right passage here? I give unto them eternal life, neither shall any. They would say never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my heart a hand. Now, man is italicized in the King James because it's not in the text. It says, neither shall any, any creature, any person, any devil, any demon, any act, Can take them out of my hand. My father, verse 29, which gave them me is greater than all. And no one, man is not there. It's in italics. No one is able to take them out of my father's hand. So remember now that the sheep are clearly identified as those who hear his voice, who have a relationship with him, and who follow him. Because a lot of people say, well, Brother Sasha, if you're saying that a person that believes on Jesus can never be lost, then that, get, that just kind of opens up the gate for them to do what they want to. No, it doesn't. There are a number of reasons, and that, that would require another study, but let me tell you one. One is that faith is a gift of God, and that means that it is the Spirit of God who has come to you and given you the gift of faith. He has given you a new heart. He doesn't reconstruct your heart. He doesn't redesign your heart. He doesn't fabricate the heart. So there's a few problems over here and a few problems over there. He gives you a new heart. You read that in Ezekiel chapter 36, the new heart in the new covenant. I will give unto them a new heart. And so you have a new heart. You have a new nature. You have a new mind And if your mind has been changed and your heart has been changed, your life has been changed. And although you are still a sinner, you no longer love to have it so. You are at war with sin. You are at war with the world. You are at war with the devil. You are no longer his child belonging to him under the judgment of God there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus so when I say a lot of times I think people misunderstand me in fact I know they do when we say something like well you know you just give a little nod to Jesus and you become his child I do not mean that if you have saving faith on Christ that you will not be saved I do mean however that if you really have believed on him you've been changed And you know what, when he says they hear my voice and they follow me, he doesn't limit that to just being saved. He doesn't just limit that to what we would call justification. That characterizes them all of their days. They're very much like the Mississippi River. The Christian life is like the Mississippi River You go up north and follow the Mississippi River and it runs here and it runs there and it runs there and sometimes it runs backwards, but it's always moving steadily toward the south. And Christians may wander here and wander there and wander out here, but they come back and they're always headed back toward Christ. Listen, faith faith is not a one-time deal. (laughs) You believe and you continue to believe every day And neither is repentance. Repentance is not a one-time thing. We need to repent every day. We need to be turning every day to the Lord every day. And sometimes we have to turn from the same thing. But there's a continual turning and there's a continual believing, there's continual following after the Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing so, as we read in Ephesians chapter 1, we are being conformed to His image. So the sheep are clearly identified in this chapter as hearing his voice, having a relationship with him, and following him. And all of that will continue, not because they have him now, now they have a home in heaven, but because, listen, this is important, because he has them. They continue following him because he has them. Look at verse 28. I give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, once gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now the emphasis here is on God having them in his hands. The emphasis is not what they have done, they have believed, or they have to keep themselves. He says, no, I have them. So the reason we continue in the faith is because we are in his hand. And to put it another way, the sheep continue in the faith because they are preserved by him. The sheep are in the hand of the son whose hand is in the hand of the father and who can overcome God to take from him what he has in his hand. Last passage, probably teach you from this passage next week, Romans chapter 8. Everybody loves the epistle of Paul to the Romans. Romans chapter 8, which goes right along with this. He says in Romans 8, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, my dear friends, when you read this, you must never read it with the emphasis on us. In other words, he's not saying we're not going to allow anything, anyone to separate us from Christ. That's one thing I do not like about many of the new contemporary gospel songs because they emphasize what I'm going to do and who I am and all of that. The scriptures emphasize who God is and what he has done, and he is the only one that can keep us. You cannot keep yourself. And the preacher and the pastor and the church can't keep you. Only God can keep you. So when he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, he's standing up challenge in the universe. He's screaming out to the universe and he's saying, is there anything or anyone in this universe that can separate us that God would let us be separated from him in the love of Christ? And then he says all of this list of things here. Tribulation distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, which is danger, sword, as it is written, we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm persuaded, verse 38, that death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, the future, things to come. Height, no matter how high it is, no matter how deep it is, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the reason that it can't is because we are in his hand, and his hand is in the Father's hand, and nobody can open the Father's hand and take out of his hand what he has therein. So our security does not rest upon us and our knowledge and what we do and what we don't do. It rests upon Christ in us who is both our salvation and the hope of glory. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thanking you for your great salvation. We pray that you'll help us to grow in our understanding of our salvation as it is in Christ. Thank you for your amazing Grace, your sovereign grace that has called us and given us a name that is above every name in this world, given us a name in our Lord Jesus Christ so that we are seated in the heavenly places in him. Thank you, Lord, that we have a great God and a great Savior. Thank you that our salvation and our security does not rest upon us, but upon him whose name is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We praise you and we give you glory through Christ our Lord, we pray for his sake. Amen.